What's the, what are the biggest misconceptions about you? That I'm just sort of lucky to be where I am. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really, I believe in fate. And I think I was really fortunate to get that first opportunity to go to Rapture TV and start my broadcasting career. But I don't think that luck has really played a part in getting me to this point now. You know, I think I've sort of worked out the building blocks to success and I think that anyone can do it I think anyone listening to this podcast and who and obviously they are the kind of people that are minded towards success anyway because they listen to this and this is what this for me anyway this is what your podcast is all about I listen Mm -hmm. to it all the time I think it's about success Mm -hmm. no matter what you talk about for me it's about success and I think that um I honestly believe that anyone anyone can get their hands on success why is it that some people don't become successful some normal people like you that went, you know were crap in school why is it that those people that therefore don't become successful and why jake humphreys who also was a very normal kid in school yeah. went on to become successful that's really the point i'm trying to get to is is what's the the is it a mindset difference mm. is it i think we have to be really careful right when we talk about this because i think we both have been successful mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that just because it's happened to us then then um, it's something that's really simple and and it can be achieved by anybody. It's almost like just because it happened to us, we think it's the same rule for everybody else. I, sure. I don't think that. I don't think that success comes from expecting it to arrive. I think that you can be successful if you know the the trick to being successful. Does yeah. that make sense? Sure. And yeah. I think the trick, personally, I think the trick to being successful is an absolute rock solid responsibility for every single minuscule part of your life and i sometimes really struggle to explain this point to people and i mean total responsibility total 100 percent responsibility for absolutely everything even things that are not your responsibility because i don't see any benefit with putting the blame for any part of your life onto anybody else because it's not other people's job to sort that life out right it's only yours Mm -hmm. So there might be a, let's take you as a prime example, right? Um, Maybe it kind of was your fault, but let's say when you left university, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't your fault. Yeah. It's still your responsibility to deal with that. Of course. What about all the times when you were trying to get success and Mm -hmm. you were in your late teens, early twenties and you, you didn't manage it, right? Yeah. Not necessarily your fault, but still your responsibility to keep going to the next thing. Um, And then when things do start going well, it might not be your fault that they've gone well. It might just be that the time was right. But then again, it's your responsibility to of take course. control of that. And I just think if people can get into a mindset where absolutely everything is totally on them and on nobody else, it's almost like a door was open. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's that's the thing. I have to take responsibility for everything. And as soon as I do that, mm. then it leaves no excuses. And how you're raised it plays a huge, huge mm-hmm. role. Because now you've said that, I, I was in my head, I was thinking about how much I was raised with that. Almost accidentally, the fact that when I'd wake up in the morning, my parents weren't there. And when I went to sleep at night, they still were at work. Yeah. Every day for about seven, eight years from the age of 10 to 18. And, and I was explaining on a podcast yesterday that um, made this connection in my mind that if I was going to have anything, it was me that was going to do it. Even my pack lunch in the morning. And so I went off into the world with this mindset that because my parents created this massive void, mm. that everything I was going to get was on me. I wasn't going to get 
Christmas or birthdays. I wasn't going to get two pounds in the morning for, for lunch. It was your responsibility. It was my responsibility to yeah. feed myself. And, and actually, for me, that was really liberating because it made, it made the whole world attainable to me in a weird way. When you believe that, you know, Santa Claus is going to show up and, and present things yeah. under the Christmas tree. When did that moment come, though? When did you... About when did 14 years old, I think I really... Okay. St- I remember I went off to London to do the junior apprentice for the BBC and my parents didn't know I'd left the house. And I was there for a day and a half and I was 14. See, they, they this is where you were so different to me though. Because at 14 years of age, I was still watching cartoons that were probably good for eight-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was not a smart, worldly wise kid at 14 who would have taken myself to London to go on The Apprentice mm. and try and be on there. I, I was a really like, super late developer. But I think what I had, similar to you, was a, not just a genuine sort of work ethic for my parents... But genuine, rock-solid foundations to start my life from. And it's hard to even say exactly what they are. But we talk about, in my family, about giving your kids roots and wings. Hmm. And it's about getting that balance right with giving your kids roots so they know that whenever there is a problem... I mean, I often say to my kids, whatever... And they're only little, they're four and seven, but one of the phrases I like to sort of instill in them is, listen, I'll always leave a light on. In other words, wherever you go, whatever life does for you, however far away you are from home, there's a light on here and you, you'll get back here if you just look for that and you, and you come and find it. And I had that from my parents at a, a really young age, that feeling that I've got my roots here. Mm-hmm. And I think once you've got that, then, then it's possible to extend your wings and to go, right, I, I reckon I'm brave enough because it's quite tentative little steps when you're in your teens, right? I'm yeah, brave yeah. enough to go to London and do an apprentice audition because I can go, go home. I know I can <laughs> yeah. come home. I know I've got my yeah. roots there. I know there's a light on for me. Sure. And that's, I think that's absolutely vital. Do you feel successful? No, not really. Um, I don't feel successful. And this is something that I try and explain to a lot of people. You know when you say, what do people think of you? And I say, oh, I think they probably think I'm smug or whatever. I think that people assume that if you've done the things that I've done or the things that mm. you've done, that it feels different, right? I feel like the same kid that grew up in Stoke Holy Cross, a little village on the outskirts of Norwich. I feel no different. I, I haven't had a buzz as exciting as when in 19, 2001 I bought an MGF sports car. Mm. I paid £9,750 for it and I bought it from an old man in, a, a, in Colchester. And I remember him still to this day turning on the light switch in his garage and the light going flicking on. And there's this green MG car. I was on children's BBC at the time. And it was the first thing I'd ever really bought for myself. Despite everything that's happened since, I've never had that feeling of, wow, that is a real sense of achievement. And it's almost like the longer it goes on, it almost goes the other way. Have you, have you ever seen Hamilton in the West End? Oh, three times. I've seen it twice. It's mm-hmm. the greatest musical ever. And you know the song, There's a Million Things I Haven't Done. Yeah. It's almost like the more I do and the more I see, the more I realise what I haven't achieved. So I was watching Miss Americana the other day on Netflix and I, was, and I think my wife was watching it thinking, oh, this is great, this is nice. And I'm watching it thinking, shit, man. How have I not been as successful as that? I need, how do I get there? What do I do? And that's, I suppose, why I love my job. I love conversations like this. Because I think that ev- you know everyone can can give you that little bit of information about what they've done in their life, and and that's why I like sitting with you know high achieving sports people, because all I care about is that that high achieving mindset that they've had. Has it ever been somewhat anticlimactic things you've achieved because because they didn't you expected them to feel like euphoria and and like a finish line or a mountain top, but they they 
didn't quite feel that way. So it felt somewhat anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I th- I, what I would say is I get a real buzz out of doing my job. Like I really love being a TV presenter. I really like the the mental challenge of hearing seven or eight voices in my ear while I'm at a big sports event with 60 or 70,000 people and I'm trying to navigate through and get us out the other side and get the best out of the pundits and come off air to the exact second. I love the challenge of that and I really enjoy the journey. But I don't think that I've ever... I think part of the problem is I don't feel like I've got to where I'm going yet. And And so therefore I've never had that moment of euphoria where I think, Oh my goodness, I've done it. This is amazing. This is me. Doesn't that concern you to some degree? Because you, it sounds like that's a place you will never arrive at. Possibly. But I am still enjoying the journey on the way. I don't feel I've had my moment yet. And I don't feel I've had that moment where I go, yes, that was wonderful. But I absolutely live with the mantra of savour it. Mm. Every single minute of every day, um, I try and make the most of it, you know. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. <laughs> 